Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. Good to see you this morning. Glad you're awake in church. Beautiful cold day in Northeast Ohio, yeah? It's going to get colder. Just hang on. All right, so I went shopping with my wife the other day, and uh, I'm going to have to return the camouflage jacket I bought. I just can't see myself wearing it. (laughs) Uh, You know, you really should try archery blindfolded. You won't even know what you're missing. You don't even know what you're missing. Sorry, I goofed up that joke. The punchline got goofed up. Sorry. So um, if you've got a Bible, would you turn with me to uh, 2 Kings chapter 4? Hopefully you have a Bible. 2 Kings chapter 4, I want to read a story to you today. A story I've heard a lot this past week. Um, I read it in a way I've never read it before. I saw something that just jumped out at me I've never seen before. So I wanted to share it with you today. So it was uh, D-Day, 1944, actually. It was the night before at about 11.30 p.m. And on a C-47, I believe we've got a picture. Yeah, on a C-47, among the 101st Airborne's 6,638 parachutists that the Americans would drop from the 101st Airborne, 6,638 American boys jump behind enemy lines, drop behind enemy lines uh, around Normandy. And um, there was a a guy on a plane. His name was Wright Brown. He wasn't uh, one of the the, um, um, airborne, but he was a reporter for NBC Radio. And as he was on the plane, he looked down and he saw all of the the young men who were about to jump out of an airplane in a few moments, he saw them messing with this silver pack and turning it over and examining all the details. And uh, he asked around and found out that that was the parachute that they would soon jump out of the plane with. And that parachute, if it wasn't wasn't folded properly, would mean their death. Uh, So he noticed one guy, looked at his silver pack and laid it back on his lap and didn't look at it again. Everybody else looks at it four or five times, re-inspects it again. This one young man, a private Robert C. Hillman from Manchester, Connecticut, never looked at his pack again. He was intrigued, so he asked him a question. He said, I notice everybody else looking at their parachutes. You're not looking at yours. He said, well, that's because I looked at it, and I saw that it was uh, from my hometown. It was folded in my hometown. And he said, I recognized it was from my hometown, and I actually recognized recognized the initials of the inspector, so it's all right. And he said, well, why is that? And he said, because the inspector's my mom. So a guy about to jump out of an airplane over the beaches of Normandy and over the hills of Normandy is comforted by a person we don't know who she is. We don't know her name. We don't know anything about her except that because she did her work in quiet, unseen hero, there was a guy who was about to jump out of a plane that had more confidence. How many unseen heroes are there in our world that do the things nobody else sees so that other people 
can get things done. Hey, I, I read a story about Spurgeon. Anybody here, Art Spurgeon? Y'all know who he is? Yeah, Spurgeon was one of the greatest preachers ever. And dozens and dozens and dozens of books that were produced by his, um, by his secretary who would sit in the sermon and take shorthand word for word of everything that he spoke because he didn't have notes. And he would speak and she would write the sermon in shorthand and then type it out word for word. What's her name? You wouldn't be blessed. Dozens and dozens of us, thousands of, uh, hundreds of thousands of people who have read sermons produced by Spurgeon would never have known except for a lady. We don't know her name. We know nothing about her except that she was good at shorthand and must have been incredibly patient. (laughs) So at the moment of any crisis, at the moment of any blessing, at the moment of any miracle, there's unseen heroes who made it happen by their contributions, no matter how small they may have thought they were. And that's the point of our message today. The The contribution of the unseen heroes are necessary to make the world happen and for God to get glory and for all the good things in this world that happen through him and through the church. They happen because unseen heroes do it. I want to challenge you to do your part to make an impact on the world because Kingdom Builders is not about how much you give, but it's how much you get to give, what you get to do. So we're going to talk about kingdom builders today. Before we do that, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet in honor of God's word. We're in uh, 2 Kings chapter 4. It's quite a story. Now, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets. So you need to see this. This woman was married to a man who was in the company of the prophets, which is sort of like a... Uh, a pastoral group, or I don't know what you would call it, a, a, tri- a, a band of people who studied the Word of God and ministered His Word to people in the communities, uh, in synagogues and in, in gatherings. So he was a company of the prophets. He cried out to Elisha and he said, Your husband is a, uh, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. And Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? It's a great question. You know, too often we want to help people the way we want to help them rather than the way they need to be helped. So we should ask, how can we help you? How can we help you? And uh, then he said this, what do you have in your house? We're going to come back to this. What do you have in your house? so, So notice her response. She was in that poverty grip. She was in a bad way, and her thinking was wrong. She said, your servant has nothing there at all. She said, hold on, what's the next word? Come on, what's the next word? (laughs) I love the accept words. I don't have anything except. Pay attention to the accepts. She said, except I have a small jar of olive oil. Now, Elisha said, go and ask all your friends. That's what you're to do now, since I know you have a small jar of oil. Go and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. <clears throat> um, then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour the oil into the jars as each is filled. Put it to one side. And she left him. 
And she shut the doors behind her and her sons, and they brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. And when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. And she went out and told the man of God, and he said, now go, sell the oil, pay your debts, and you and your sons, you can live on what is left over. So, Father, I pray that today you would help us to see that we can be a part of the miraculous. Thank you, Father, for the chance to do it and participate, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, wait, wait before you're seated. You need to turn to somebody next to you, and you need to tell them. Normally, I just want you to say something, you know, greet one another or somehow, so that you communicate and give a big smile, which you should do anyway. But I want you to tell them, you have the miracle in your house. You tell them, you have the miracle in your house. You have the miracle in your house. You tell them before you're seated today, all right? Hey, if you're online, you have the miracle in your house. All right. There are three perspectives we need to understand from this story to help us understand it better. The first one is we need to come to a firm grasp of what the problem was. What is the actual problem? So what do we know about the man who died? Let's talk about that. Let's identify the problem by asking, what do we know about this man? The first thing we know is that he was from the company of the prophets. So he was devoted to God, and he was devoted to the scriptures, and he was devoted to ministry, and he was devoted to doing the right thing. We also know that he revered the Lord personally. So his life was spent doing the right thing, and we also know that he personally revered the Lord. We know that he didn't have money, and apparently he had some debt. Now, we don't understand this in this culture. When we go into debt, normally we go into debt to buy things we really don't need. You know, you could buy a $1,000 car and limp it along for a few years, but you've got to go get a new one and lease it. That's, wow, wow. Don't, don't get all up in my business. But come on, you're now in debt for years and years to come, and when you're done with that lease, what do you have? Nothing. If you buy a $1,000 car and you limp it along for a year and you sell it and you got 500 bucks, you have a whole lot more than if you lease for 10. Is he talking to me? Yeah, I am. I'm talking to you. So we, we understand money differently in this culture than how this guy went into debt. Let me tell you how this guy probably went in debt. You don't understand. We don't understand food shortages. We really don't. But if you're a farmer and you live off the land, you know what you have to do? You take a portion of... Are you all ready for this? You reap your harvest, and then you take a portion of your harvest, and you don't eat it. You know what you do with it? You set it aside, because the next year, what are you going to need? You're going to need some seed to put in the ground to grow food for the future. Are you all following me here? So what happens if you do that, and you go through the process, and you get a harvest, and you eat really good for a year, and then you take your seed that you have, because seed doesn't last forever, and the next year, you throw it in the ground, but for some reason, there's no rain all year long. And you get barely just enough to starve through the next winter, and you have no seed for the future. I tell you what you have to do. You have to buy your seed from somebody else, but you got no money. So then what do you do? You go into debt. And that's probably what happened with this guy. As a farmer, he was probably had a couple of bad years where he lost, you know, where it was drought or something and he didn't have any money. And the only way he could get seed to feed his family was to go into debt personally. And going into debt, well, he, he was in debt and then he couldn't pay it off. 
because he died. He died. He died with two boys in his house. He died. Reminds me of a guy named Chuck Jarvis when I read this story. This is the kind of person I think of is a guy like Chuck Jarvis. Now, Chuck Jarvis and I met for the first time, I think it was 1998. We were at a prayer and fasting retreat, and uh, he and I were both, he was much older than me. As a matter of fact, I, we have the same birthday, by the way, me and Chuck. We got the same birthday, except he's like 40 years advanced, uh, 30 years advanced of me. <laughs> so he was 30 years older than me, and we met for a prayer and fasting retreat. And because I didn't have any money as a church planner to spend the night in a hotel, guess what I did? I slept at the church on chairs like this. I slept at the church all night, and that was my hotel was <laughs> chairs. Well, he was the same way. He didn't have any money. He had pastored some successful churches, but because of some bad things that happened, what happened, he never got financially ahead, and he didn't have any money. So here's a guy 30 years older than me sleeping on the chairs with me. And we bonded that night. We stayed together. We probably didn't go to bed till 3 in the morning. We were up praying together all night long. He was praying with me. I'm praying with him. And, you know, we, we just bonded. Well, Chuck Jarvis later moved to our our um, area here and lived in our area. And I spent a lot of time with Chuck because um, as I was presbyter, he was one of the, the pastors I was part of. And I spent time with him. And the more I got to know him, the more I respected him, the more I loved him. But you know, Chuck retired and he had to move away from here because he couldn't afford to live in this area because he didn't have the money. So you're talking to a guy that's faithful. He's godly. I mean, we used to invite Chuck to church and let him preach and man, I'd give him extra money. I'd give him more money than other people. And I'd say, here, here's extra money. So he could go home and have a little bit of money to, to live on. Because I respect a guy that invested his entire life with character, with integrity, with godliness, with passion, and all of those things. And he invested his life. But when he gets to the end of his life, he can barely afford because all he's got is a couple of pennies off of Social Security. No other retirement. Tough. That's the kind of guy I think this guy was. He gave it all, and now they're in a bind. And that's not because he was a bad person. That's because he was a great person. And now they're in a bind. Sometimes life is tough. You know that? And if you're one of those people that you think you follow Jesus and it's going to be like this straight line of perfection from the day I get saved till I get to heaven, it's like everything is perfect all the time. You have never read the Bible. The book of Job teaches us that bad stuff happens to good people, right? And, and this past week, Dwayne Davis was teaching on Wednesday night and he said, I, I love this line. I wrote it down. It was so good. He said, the road to sainthood is never a straight line. He said, read Hebrews 11, the road to sainthood is never a straight line. There's curves and there's twists and there's diversions in different directions and pain. So I, I just want to tell you that we all have moments where we have a problem, where we have an issue, where we have a struggle. And if you're going one of those, through one of those times, it's not because you're bad, it's because you're alive. It's because you're breathing. Now... What happens is this, the mom hears about what's going to happen, that her sons are going to be sold as slaves to pay the bill, and mom's not all right with this. Can I, can I talk for a second? Would y'all let me just talk to you, especially you ladies of the house? I talk to guys a lot, but let me talk to ladies for a second. When I was a kid growing up, Sister Gormley, Mama Phillips, 
Sister Gentry, those were older ladies. Made a huge impact on my life. I'll tell you, tell you two stories. One was Mama Phillips. I still remember it. I was a little kid. I was a little kid. And she was Mama Phillips' grandma, grandma's grandma. And she was old. And I remember one day she got some bad news. I have no idea what the news were. But I remember, go, I can still see it. I couldn't have been over three or four. And if you know me, I have ADHD. I always have. And I have all the time. And I'm sure she was at her wits end. And she needed to pray. So she took me in the bathroom close the door and I can still see it in my head there's the bathtub right here and she set me down on the bathtub and the commode was right next to it and she closed the lid of the commode and she bowed down on the with her on her knees in front of the commode with me pinned between her and the bathtub with no place to go and she prayed down the fire of heaven and me a kid uh, I remember not, the, the reason it's so strong in my brain and my memory is a woman at a commode intersecting in heaven. She interceded. She grabbed a hold of heaven and brought it down. And the power of God filled that room so much that it made an impact on little knot-headed me. Where are the ladies in our culture that are doing that? Now everybody, you got a problem, you got to talk about it on Facebook. I wish I could take Facebook away from you and get you back to praying. I really, really wish we could refocus and go to a place where... Sister Gentry. Notice these are all sisters and mamas. These are older ladies. She was teaching a fifth and sixth grade class. And the Holy Spirit spoke to her. So what she did that Sunday morning, I will never forget it. Fifth and sixth graders, you come on. We were the rowdiest group of fifth and sixth graders. She put us in the classroom, closed the door, put her chair in front of the door, and turned on... Jimmy Swaggart singing, I cry holy, holy, holy. And I fall on my knees and cry holy. And she bowed on a chair and began to weep and call out to God for our salvation and for our lives. And I'm a, I'm a full-grown man remembering the impact made by a woman who grabbed a hold of the horns of the altar and said, this isn't good, God, we got to change it. And we got a whole church now filled with people. We got all of these people that have a power to grab a hold of the horns of the altar, and you're not doing it. And you're, you're not fulfilling God's call for your life. Where are the ladies that will grab the horns of the altar and make intercession for people who so desperately need it? Where are you at? I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. We need some Mama Phillipses in this house. Your kids need some Mama Phillipses. Your grandkids need some Sister Gentry's and Sister Gormley. That's a problem. All right, second of all, what's the solution? Well, there are three steps here to the solution. I want you to see them. The first one is, the first step to the solution is to expose the problem. Now, this godly mom didn't hide and complain. What did she do? She sought help. She brought her problem out to people who could do something about it. She went for spiritual help. Listen, if you've got a problem, if you've got issues, it's time to quit hiding them. It's time to bring them into the light. I've been through this personally. <laughs> I've had hard conversations with my wife, with my counselor. I've had hard conversations, and I will tell you, if you want to be healthy, 
You've got to bring those things inside you that's destroying you out to the light. You've got to do it. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 13 says, But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. <laughs> Hold on. Even the things that are destroying you now, if you illuminate them, become a light source because your healing gives healing to others. That's why it said, wake up, old sleeper. <laughs> I love that line. I used to say it to my kids all the time. I'd go in the room, wake up, old sleeper. Rise from the dead because Christ will shine on you. Hey, listen, you've got to bring it out in the light. Go see a counselor, Christian counselor, please. I would send you to any old counselor, but please don't go to any old counselor because they're... I've talked to a lot of people that are in the psychology world, and let me tell you, some of the most goofed up people I've ever talked to are counselors. <laughs> At least get a Christian counselor that's willing to submit it to Christ. I've got a couple of, if, you, if you've got an addiction or something you've got to deal with, the chain's going to break. But man, how are you? God already broke the chains off you. You, you just now got to find a new way to live so you don't go back and get them again. And if you need to go to a counselor, let me know. We'll send you a good counselor. Talk to a pastor. You know, we got pastors here for a reason. We'll help you. I'll yell at you. Come see me. I'm, I'm really good at yelling at you. I'm lousy at counseling. But I'm really good at yelling at you. I'll tell you, come on, let's get this straight. Let's go. See, talk to your spouse. Talk to your parent. Talk to somebody to help you get some sanity in your life. Expose it. Why do I say this? Because in a business world, let me just tell you this. A problem well-defined is 90% solved. And in your private world, a problem well-defined is on its way to being solved. So ask people to pray with you and seek some help. First of all, expose the problem. Second of all, that's what she did. She said, hey, prophet, I've got an issue. Second of all, identify what you have. Identify what you have. Notice what Elisha said, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 12. Tell me what you have in your house. This is a biblical truth that I would like to share with you that I would like you to get and to put it down deep in your heart. You ready for this? The answer is already in you. You already have the seeds of the answer. It's already in you. You don't need to be running everywhere in the world to find the answer. The answer is already there. Now, you may need to go to a counselor to help you figure out how to pull it out. But the answer is already there. It would have been easy for Elisha to say, yeah, we'll send you a check. Or Elisha to say, there will be money when you get home. Right? That's a miracle too, right? Instead, Elisha did something that is a biblical principle. He asked her what she had. Because God used this to teach the woman and her sons, the woman and her sons, a biblical example. That the seeds for everything you need is already in your house. 2 Peter 1.3 says it this way. His divine power has given us what? Everything we need. How much has he given us? You already have it. You're just not using it right. This is a philosophy that I cling to and I believe in. And that, I, I read this book by Jack Hayford years ago. And this book by Jack Hayford was about um, how, to, how to raise up a church that's powerful. And he said, one of the things you need to realize is everything you need to accomplish God's will for you is already in your hands. It's already in the house. Everything you need is already there. You're just not using it right. 
And, and you know what happens when you use these things? You pass it along not only to you, but also to those who experience it with you. I'll give you a perfect example of this. Uh, one of the reasons I have no problem praying for everything and believing anything can work is because of my mom and dad. Um, we had this old 1969 Chevy pickup. And uh, it was V8 column shift. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Years and years ago, I learned to drive, driving that truck down the back roads of Oklahoma. Yeah, column shift and my foot could barely reach the, the clutch. And, all right, anyway, that, that old truck was a really dependable, faithful truck. But when it got cold, the dozen or so mornings it got cold in Oklahoma, you know, teens, cold. That old, they didn't make these vehicles like they do now, you know, with these automatic ignitions and, uh, yeah, all that injection and stuff. These were, this was old carburetor stuff. And when that truck got cold, it did not like to start. And I can't tell you the number of times that my mom walked into my room and said, hey, dad's been out trying to start the truck and he can't get it started. As a matter of fact, the battery's almost dead. Get up out of bed. We're going to go pray for the truck. He's got to go to work. So at 5.30 in the morning, I put my boots on and a coat on and go out up the little hill there where the truck sat on the side of the road. And, and Dad would get in the truck and he, he'd put the key in. You could hear the battery going, mm-hmm. so he'd, you know, it was one of those. And then he'd turn the ignition off and Mom, me and Dad and my brother, we'd lay hands on that old truck and we would pray for it. And when we would pray for that truck, I can't tell you how many times, really, I cannot tell you how many times, the, immediately after prayer, my dad would go into the truck, turn the ignition, and it would start first time. See, you think those little annoyances in your life are annoyances to keep you down, but maybe they're annoyances to build faith in your family. Because this very day, I prayed some big prayers. I prayed million-dollar prayers. Come on. I, I prayed prayers for things that you can't imagine. And it all started when I was a kid, and Mom and Dad had me praying for a truck. All right. One, one more thing before I move on. We live in a culture right now that we bicycle helmet kids to take a walk in the park. I found out this past week you're not allowed to put a coat on a child in a car seat because they might slip out. I'm, I'm like, what? You gotta be kidding me. You gotta, really? I used to ride in the back of the Ford Fairlane in the back window at two years of age. Now, I'm not, now trust me, there weren't as many cars on the road, but my grandpa, come on, he couldn't see or hear. And he'd drive that Ford Fairlane down the road like this, you know, and we'd be cruising through the bottoms, and I'm in the back window sunning myself like a snake. Now, listen, listen, listen. They were a little too underprotective, right? But can I say this? Watch out. We're a little too overprotective. We're, we're so afraid of something bad happening to our kids that we bubble wrap them in life. And you wouldn't open up, you wouldn't wake your kids up at 5.30 in the morning because they've got to have their sleep. We can't keep them at church till 8 o'clock at night because they've got to be in bed at 7. <laughs> Sorry. 
Are you, are you raising children or are you raising robots? Can I talk for a second? Now listen, listen, I love you, but could you do yourself a favor? If you're, if you're part of this bubble wrap generation, would you include your kids in your problems enough to teach them how to pray their way through it? Because maybe, maybe God's allowing this stuff to happen to develop some faith in you and to pass faith on to them. And you keep hiding everything from them rather than letting them know it's a tough month. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. Listen, listen. Oh, my goodness. I, I don't want to go off on this. I really don't want to, but talk. This next year, 2023, I'm going to talk to you about raising up a Daniel generation. The, God's dealing with me. We've got, we got to focus. We've got to do it. And the only way we're going to raise up a Daniel generation is if somehow, some way, we will get past our culture into Christ-likeness. You've got to go all in here. And if it makes you uncomfortable and if I'm offending you, good, good. All right. Third is they adapt by faith. Now, the woman had said, sent her sons... Can you imagine this? Uh, my dad just died. I'm going to be taken as a slave. Hey, knock, knock, knock. Neighbor, do you have a jar you could give me? Any kind of jar, any kind of jar. Do you have anything you could give me? Yeah, I got this one. And then, and then, go to the next one. Hey, do you have any kind of jar you could give me? I, we'll, we'll come back to that. But Notice, that had to be a little awkward. Can we just acknowledge that's a little awkward? Hey, the orphan kids are here asking us for jars. They going to start a pottery shop? They had to feel weird, but yet they did it anyway. And notice the communal nature of the answer. They're going to have to sell this oil in a bit, and who are they going to sell it to? <laughs> People who gave them the jars. <laughs> hey, would you like to buy your jar back? <laughs> It's full all now. <laughs> all right. So um, they had to pour a little oil into all those jars. How, how, do you, how, how silly do you think she felt? How silly do you think she felt to take that little bitty jar of oil and to have this and go, still going. All right, this one's full. I need another one and another one. And another one, how, how silly do you think she had to feel doing that? It takes an act of faith. At some point, if you want to solve, you want God to step into your problems, you have to act with faith. And notice this, when their preparation ended, the miracle stopped. 2 Kings 4, 6, when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. He replied, there's not any jars left. <laughs> not any jars left. And then... And only then did they all stop flowing. There's no more. They tried to pour some out. It wouldn't come out anymore. So if God were sending you a miracle right now, how prepared are you for it? Do you have the disciplines to uphold the miracle God wants to do in your life? I tell you what it's like. We did trunk or treat here, right? We had 60 cars with, with candy galore. And I looked up these kids coming through the door, and they had like, now some of them, they were bringing Walmart, you know, those, all these bags. <laughs> hey, give me some candy. I think they'd been here before. But there were others. They walked up, and they had a little bag about this big. And I'm like, dude, you ain't got enough space for all you're about to get. We have people giving full-size candy bars. They visit three cars, and it's going to be full 
And all they're prepared for is a little. They were walking out of here. The parents' pockets were stuffed. You know, their shirt, they were stuffing it down their shirt. I don't know what was going on, where it was going. But, but they weren't prepared for the blessing they were going to receive. And a lot of us, I think that's how we approach uh, the prayer times we have. We ask God for miracles, and then we prepare for a little blessing. And he's saying, hey, I had a whole lot more if you'd just been ready for it. So, last part is the key to the story. And this is, this is what caught my, my brain this week, all right? I was reading this story, and I realized there were three groups of people represented in the story. There was the spiritual authority, the prophet, you know, the person who was uh, the person or organization representing God. And I realized we're going to do a kingdom builders offering in just a second. When we do kingdom builders, one of the things we're going to note is that every one of these has a spiritual authority over them that we have vetted that are godly people that, that handle money right, that take care of things the right way. We're not giving money to the wind. We're giving money to uh, spiritual authority that knows what they're doing and do it right. All right. Second thing is, um, there's the person in need. So they're the people we're going to bless through this. You know, they're, they're the foster children that are going to get blessed. They're the, the people, the convoy of hope's going to bless by feeding. I think they're feeding like 700,000 kids a day through convoy of hope. So we're a part of feeding children around the world. We're a, we're a part of, uh, you know, Youngstown. We're going to buy tablets for them so that, um, they, they run after school programs so that inner city kids that don't have uh, the opportunity to after school programs are going to get an after school program where they have an opportunity to learn and they have an opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus in the, in the environment. We're going to facilitate that. Uh, yeah, stuff like that. It's going to happen. So those persons in need, those people in need are going to be impacted what we do. But this week, what I noticed was the unsung heroes of the passage. You know who the unsung heroes were? I used to think, I always thought that they went and borrowed the vessels. That was my thought, that they borrowed the vessels. But I read the story three times. No time did I find that they borrowed the vessels. Do you know what they did? They went and asked for the vessels, and the people gave them vessels. The miracle couldn't happen without the gifts of a community. Do you know any of their names? No. Do you know any of their stories? No. They were the unsung heroes that gave what they could to be a part of what God was about to do. So that's what we're going to do. Let's look at this card real quick. Everybody reach in front of you, grab one of these cards. I want to go over the projects we're going to support with Kingdom Builders. And by the way, we get to do this. This is a lot of fun, right? We get to do this. The reason we get to do this, can I tell you a story this week? We had a, last week we gave away a bunch of Kingdom Builders money that we had because we needed to get rid of it before this week when we refreshed the pot and we gave it away and, and it was really fun. We gave $15,000 away, $5,000 to Women Empowerment to help women in, in countries uh, who don't have jobs and their kids are starving to help them be empowered to get not only jobs but careers that can support their family in the future. We gave $5,000 to uh, uh, Roll Ranger International to help them build uh, their offices. And we gave, what else did we give 5000 to? I forget now. Oh, oh, um, uh, Builders International to build a Bible college. Uh, actually, no, this $5,000 we gave was to help them build a a, a resource location that is rescuing young girls from the sex trafficking trade. So that's what we gave to this past because we had, you're ready? We had extra money 
because you guys gave so generously last year. So, but I had a privilege this past week because we had a little extra money in missions too and we wanted to give it to a boots on the ground missionary. So I called a missionary and I said, hey, I heard you're going to Puerto Rico to, after the hurricane, you're helping them rebuild their campground and national office. And he said, yeah, I'm going. I'm, I said, well, when are you leaving? He said, Tuesday. And I said, so do you have your $5,000 raised? And he said, no, no, I don't. I said, and you're going anyway? He said, yeah. I said, well, how much do you have raised? He said, about $3,000. I was like, you got $3,000 raised. What, could you, can you reallocate that $3,000? He said, well, yeah, I guess I could. Why? I said, because Harvest Ridge is going to pay all $5,000 for you to go to Puerto Rico and to, to help them rebuild. And you're going to get it all paid right here, right now. And his wife, you could hear, ah, hallelujah. <laughs> What's going on? I had a part. I'm sharing with you. you. He doesn't know your name. But there are people in Puerto Rico that their lives are going to be blessed because you gave to an offering and we got to give to them and I got to have a hallelujah moment with somebody that the miracle happened. She said, it's a miracle. And he said, but it's a miracle. I got to pull over so I can see the road. I mean, did you know you had that kind of impact on people? You do. And that happened this week. Come on, guys, we get to do this together. This isn't stuff we're forced to do. We get to do this. Come on, it's a whole lot better than leaving my change at J.C. Penney's. Do you want to round up? No, I'm giving it to Kingdom Builders. At least I get to hear the difference it makes. Anyway, you know our projects. They're here. You can read them, all right? I told you some of them. Um, no, I'm going to tell you. Convoy of Hope. Convoy of Hope goes to feed children, empowers women, and aids during disasters. Uh, we'll, the goal is to give $20,000 today to Convoy of Hope to feed kids around the world. Sat7 Muslim Outreach, you saw about that. Uh, I'm, I'm all for that, man. I'm all for reaching people who are far from the gospel, and we get a chance to reach out to them and show the love of God. Outdoor playground. We do have a playground over here. We need to replace the playground. Because, quite honestly, there are holes in it and there are screws starting to come loose and we need to replace the playground because there are dozens of people that play on this playground every week, dozens and dozens of kids over there playing and we need to make sure that we don't get sued in a tetanus shot. No. <laughs> Uh, Heart Reach, that's what I told you in Youngstown. We're going to buy the tablets for them for after school program. Fire Bible, Myanmar. I'm all in with that. I've given Fire Bibles away. Oh my goodness. It's to people that have to spend a week's wages. A week's wages to have a Bible and you give them one for free. Woo! Anyway, Builders International. We're going to be building a Bible college in, uh, in Nicaragua. And after the first year, you're going to hear how you can participate with us. Foster care, we're going to give gifts to every foster care. Uh, every child in foster care in Lorraine County, I think it's above three years of age. I think we drew the line at three years of age because they wouldn't understand. And then local outreach. We, do you know we have feeding ministries here? We feed people, harvest hands, dine with us. Do you know we feed our community every month? You know we do that? And that guy is clapping. He's the one that runs it. So yeah, of course. All right. Harvest, uh, and then, then uh, this is what's going to happen. You're going to give more than we need. I know this. This is who Harvest Ridge is. And when you give more than we need, you know what we're going to be able to do? Somebody calls, they have a need, we're going to give it. And when we give it, you know what we get to do? We get to celebrate back with you. We'll make those reports throughout the year. So down at the bottom of this, there's a little card. I want you to tear that card off and fill it out. Please put your full information on here. Here's why. Because some of you apparently gave us your, your email address from 1991. 
So give us your accurate information. And then there's a one day to change the world offering. That's the offering we're receiving today. Now, here's what we did, me and my wife. We, um, we took our wage, our total wage, and we divided it by 300 because we didn't want to divide it by 365 and be cheap. So we divided by 300 so it'd be more. And we wrote down, we agreed, and we're going to give our one day offering. One day of our wages is going into this Kingdom Builders offering in just a couple of minutes. It's going to go, I'll just leave that out because it's going in. And then that's the one day offering. So I'm encouraging you to give, give something, write a check if you need to make it out, make it to Harvest Ridge. Uh, but every penny goes to Kingdom Builders to, in this offering. We're going we're gonna to give it to them. Then there's the monthly Kingdom Builders. If you want to make a monthly pledge and what you do is you take your total of your offering today and the total of the commitment of your monthly pledges and then you give a total commitment so I can, I can, uh, we can have them do some checking up to make sure you meet your pledges. And when you call us and say, hey, have I met my Kingdom Builders pledge yet? We actually will know what it was. All right? One, one final thing. If you, Kingdom Builders is not how much you give. It's what we get to give. So, so I'm not giving you a dollar amount. I'm not even saying, do $29.95 like I've heard other churches do. I'm just simply saying, if you want to give some, if you want to, you get to. If you don't want to, you don't have to. Okay, but if you want to, you get to. Now, tithing, I think you should do that regardless and don't make a Kingdom Builders pledge until you've started that, that process of weekly or monthly contributions based on a percentage of what you make, okay? But you get to do this. Now, your little bits, your little bit, and my little bits, my little bit, and their little bits, a little bit, and your little bits, your little bit, and your little bits, a little bit, and a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. What happens is when we do all of this little bit together, it turns into a lot. And what you cannot do by yourself, you can't change the world by yourself. But you know what? Your little bit matters with my little bit and his little bit and her little bit. And this is what it actually looks like when we all do our little bit together. On Saturday, March 9th, members of the Amish community arrived at the Hochstetler farm on Snively Road. Over 250 Amish men and others were there to help move a pole barn from one side of the farm to another. Shortly after 9 a.m., they spread out, surrounding the barn, and then they lifted. Walking steadily, they were able to move the barn into its new spot. The entire process took less than five minutes Northern Knox County, Joshua Morrison from MountVernonNews.com. We got our buckets over here, but we didn't get our vessels over here. Oh, there they go. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Good. All right. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have an opportunity here in just a second. I'm going to give you an opportunity to get up out of your chair, to come here and to put both your pledge card, put this in, and put your offering in. Just like that. See how simple that is? But we're going to do it the old-fashioned way as an act of thanksgiving and praise that you have something to give, as an act that you can be a part of doing the impossible. We're gonna ask you to come forward and give today. We don't normally do that, but this is an act of praise. It's not something I'm forcing you to do. It's something you what? You get to do. You get to do. You get to do this. You get to make an impact on foster kids' lives. You get to rescue girls from slave trafficking. You get 
to feed kids who would starve to death without you. You get to do this. You get to. Because it's a gift. It's your gift. You're the, you're the vessel provider. God's going to do the miracle. He's going to take the gift we have. He's going to fill it with the power of the Holy Spirit, making total impact on our world. And it's going to happen because you're doing your part, they're doing their part, and God's going to do his part. What a privilege. Hey, one, one final thing, though. There's some of you that you're hearing this, and there's something stirring in your heart. And the thing that's stirring in your heart is this, is that I want to be a part with a God who loves and cares like this. You want to be a part of a God who loves you enough to give to you and to give you a place to belong and a place to make an impact. You want to be a part? Well, it's time. It's time for you to make a full commitment to Jesus Christ and to confess him as your Lord and Savior. Because God's giving you an opportunity right now to receive him as Lord and Savior. So I'm going to ask you if you would bow your heads with me. And I want to ask, if you're in this room today, or you're watching online today, and, and you know that today is your day to give your life fully to Jesus. Today is your day to give your life fully to Jesus. Today is your day. I want you to lift your hand real high. I want to pray with you right now. If that's you, yes, yes, yes. Around this room, there are hands. Around this room, today is your day. All right, since there are so many hands being lifted right now, could we all pray together? Because nobody needs to pray alone, right? Right? We're going to expose this to light. We're all going to do this together. Would you repeat after me? Dear Jesus, I believe in you. I give you my heart. I trust you. Take all I am. Give me all you are. I receive your life. Thank you for it. Amen. Now, if you prayed that and you believe that, what happened was God heard you and he expects you to act. He expects you to act by taking the next step, following Jesus. Be a regular part of the church. Come on, get involved. Get baptized next week. Talk to somebody today. Let's get baptized next week. Let's go. Come on, let's do this thing. All in. Are y'all ready? All right, would you stand with me? And uh, as they begin to play this song, it's your opportunity to give. Let's do it.